This is Carolyn Holly. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan. And as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall is brought to you by the following sponsors. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. McDowell's Specialty Repair, Susie Boyle Mortgage Team and Castle and Cook Mortgage LLC, and Summer's Funeral Home. Every life leaves a legacy. And now here's your host for Game Plan for Life, Skip Hall. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Well, today my special guest is a great friend, longtime friend, and mentor of men. We're going to get into a lot of that in a bit, but first of all, I want to welcome Larry Glaive from the Navigators to Game Plan for Life. Thank you, Skip. Good morning, and welcome to you and to your listeners, and congratulations on your book, when I read it, I could not put it down. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you, Larry. Thank you. Yeah. The book is doing really well for listeners that maybe don't know much about it, but it's called Coach Em Up, and it's a message about how we treat people, how we coach them up and not down, and give them, you know, how our influence and our encouragement can change people's lives, and that's what it's all about, and that's what we're going to talk about today, too. So, Larry, it's so good to have you on board here. First of all, uh, Larry's from Columbia, Missouri. He uh, he grew up in Illinois, and I'm going to have him share his story. So, Larry, take us back to the early years in Illinois and march us forward. Thank you, Skip. Yes, uh, I grew up in the Chicago area, and like you, Skip, um, I grew up in a family without a father. My father left our family when I was around five or six. Mm. People sometimes ask me, what was it like growing up in a family without a father? And my comment is it's like uh, tightroping without a net. Yeah. I think as a result of that, I was attracted to athletics simply because I wanted to be around men. And... Um, so it wasn't just, I didn't have that much of an ability, but I was attracted to rubbing shoulders with um, men who, who cared. And, and so that was, a, that was a tremendous avenue for me to be able to grow up in. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, keep going, Larry. We want to hear your story, the rest of it. I adopted a philosophy growing up that I could have purpose and satisfaction in life by being successful in athletics. And so what that caused me to do was to gain acceptance through performance. And uh, so I played a number of different sports, both in Chicago, and then I spent my summers in northern Wisconsin. Mm. And um, one of the sports I participated in up there, I was a yacht racer on the Great Lakes. And so um, I experienced a fair amount of success. The thing that was eye-opening was my success did not produce the results that I had assigned to it, the purpose and satisfaction. So when I went to Illinois State University to major in physical education in 1970, my philosophy was up for review. During that time growing up, I was exposed to religion, and, and I had a respect for God, but for 
all practical purposes, it kind of constituted in rules, regiments, and rituals. And so it was a once-a-week deal. Mm. It was at college by, during my welcome week in 1970 that I met some men who wanted to talk about spiritual things. They said they were with the navigators and with a sailing background. I thought they were going to invite me to a sailing club. <laughs> Rather, they talked about this idea of a relationship with God. And I'd never heard about a relationship before. Again, it was just the rules, regiments, and rituals. But it sounded like that relationship, as they talked about it, could provide purpose and satisfaction in life. Mm. So um, from that conversation, it was the first time that I can ever remember a person opening up the Bible to me. The two men were Bob and Wendell, and Bob... Uh, had me read First John five eleven and 12, where it says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The Son has life. He who is not the Son of God has not life. And I knew I had a lot of things in life, but I didn't have the Son. And so a couple days later, I made that decision to you know, believe and receive Jesus and become a child of God. Amen. Keep the going. result was is Bob, who introduced me to Christ, um, showed up the next day, and he explained to me that the Word of God was to the spiritual life like food was to the physical. And so he began to help me read the Bible kind of on a daily basis. And he also kind of came alongside and shared his life in the Word for the next three years, Mm. so that by the time I graduated, I had um, not only a degree in coaching and in physical education, but also I kind of had a degree in um, the heart, vision, and know-how of being a disciple and wanting to make disciples. So I left college and uh, kind of started on my coaching career claiming the promise of Isaiah 60:22 the smallest one will become a clan and the least one a mighty nation i the lord will hasten it in its time and so after a couple of years of coaching the navigators invited me in 1976 to join their staff and to represent them on a college campus and um you know, and to be able to share with others what I had experienced. It was like going from an athletic coach to being a spiritual coach. Right. right. Coming alongside um, men and women, getting excited about helping them be successful by being able to share my example, my experience, expertise, helping them to be successful, you know, in their spiritual dimension of life. Right, And so I did that for a number of years until 1989 or 1990, and then I transitioned from the collegiate ministry to the marketplace. And I had read a quote by Henry David Thoreau that said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I thought, if that is true, then somebody needs uh, to do something about that. And um, so I was not, I was almost like a 38 or 39-year-old college graduate. 
I had no idea, but I had this passion. And um, so as I got started in kind of trying to figure out how I could connect and relate to businessmen, I had no idea that one day the phone would ring and I not only had a passion, but then the person on the other end of that line, you know, by introducing themselves, they became my partner. And so for the next four or five years after that, you know, you and I together kind of pioneered in this idea of investing in the lives of businessmen in Colombia from the platform that we each had. Wow. Yes. And I remember it so well. When I first went to uh, University of Missouri in Columbia as a defensive coordinator in the football program, well, I remember going uh, one of our first nights there, we were invited to a group of people and getting acquainted, and, and uh, they asked me, well, what, what are your interests maybe outside of football? And so I started talking about uh, men's ministry, and all of a sudden somebody said, well, you sound just like Larry Glabe. <laughs> and I said, who's Larry Glabe? So they they told me, they gave me your number, and the next day I called you up, and you tell the rest of the story. Well, yeah, that was really interesting because you called me up and you identified yourself, and, um, you know, a couple of things went through my mind. One is I've never had a Division One coach ever call me before. Number two, I don't have any eligibility left. <laughs> and number three... Um, what friend of mine is playing a crank call on me? Um, But you were very gracious and just kind of gave me a snapshot of, you know, um, what your passion was, uh, what the platform was that you had used it. And uh, you invited me to go to lunch the very next day with Virginia. And the three of us went to a restaurant called Chris McDee's. And as we sat down, um, you uh, said, why don't you tell me your story and what's on your heart? And I asked you what was on your heart and what was your story. And we just kind of kind of clicked. It was amazing. Yeah. And, and then you said that wherever you go, um, you know, your profession is coaching football, but your passion is to follow Christ and tell others about him. And uh, you mentioned that Everywhere you go, you see yourself as kind of a spiritual jockey, and you're looking for a horse to ride. And um, so when we were done, I go, uh, it was, the time went very fast, and then I said, Coach, where do we go from here? And and you just looked at me, and you said, well, we just saddle up. And Virginia, who had participated in the conversation, she just laughed. And I thought, oh, man, I had no idea that this passion now had, you know, we had, I got, had gotten a partner. And uh, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Mm. And, you know, when we try to do something individually, oftentimes it's not sustainable or falls flat. But from that time on, as you and I met for the next year, spending time in prayer talking about this promise from Ezekiel 22, where it says, I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land. And, you know, as you and I began to talk and built a friendship, you know, we agreed to partner together to stand in the gap 
for the Kingdom of God in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, there were just two of us. But after we made that decision, you and I were walking out of the Dairy Queen, and I looked at you in the parking lot, Skip, and I said, Coach, do you think that God could really use us? And you looked at me, and you said, He already has. He just divided the city in half. So that's how it got started. Yeah, wow. Well, then we invited some uh, businessmen to join us, a pastor and a businessman, uh, Jack Needy, and, and uh, some others. So we, as we, the two of us met and planned and, and prepared, we invited a few others, and pretty soon it was a handful of guys meeting. And then we decided to uh, launch what we called Prime Time, which was uh, early in the morning on Wednesdays, I believe. And uh, we started to invite men, and men came. And why don't you tell us how that developed? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's uh, been said that vision is a compelling picture of a preferable future which motivates people to participate. And as you and I and Jack Needy and then uh, Dr. Parsons and Dr. Coy and... uh, Uh, Bill Moore, began to talk about this, we began to think, what could it possibly look like? And the idea was, is if we met at 6 or 6.30, would other men want to come? And uh, so you and I kind of thought of a format of kind of welcoming people and inviting men to be able to rub shoulders with authentic believers and with the Word of God. And, uh, you know, Henry David Thoreau had made this statement, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And, you know, as we began to invite men uh, to that, the picture that we painted was every man had a vertical tug on their heart. Ecclesiastes 2 says, um, who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? And as much as people know about the, their intellectual dimension of life and the physical and the social, we were saying that every man has a spiritual dimension. And that power of the relationship, and, and one thing that you've always emphasized that runs through your book, that relationships, building relational bridges of trust over time that can bear the weight of truth. And we just treated men with respect. We gave personal invitations, and as men came, you would do the introduction and welcome men, and they were drawn to that. Some of the coaches came, and and then we had somebody just open up the Scripture, but very briefly talk about the Scriptures and how that was God's Word and giving uh, insight into their lives. And men saw that it was relevant, because most men... We're coming thinking that anything spiritual was impersonal, impractical, and irrelevant. And so then, after we would have somebody talk for about 10 to 12 minutes, it never went more than 12 minutes from the Word, then we would have discussions around the table, and we would call it tabletop discussions. And we began to realize that not only could we give insight, but then what would happen is they had to interact about that and then talk about how they could integrate into their their life. And, you know, the funny thing was is over time that began to grow, and those men would invite others. And it was like, hey, we need to invite men to kind of come and see. And when we first started, 
we thought that it would go for about six weeks, maybe 12 at the most. And, you know, the amazing thing, Skip, is now that has gone on for the last 32 years. Wow. <laughs> it's so amazing. Just, uh, just in the beginning where two men came together and the Lord uh, said, okay, We've got some, something. I got something for you guys to do. So, so how many men approximately are involved now in the ministry there in Columbia? Business. Well, men. you know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I know your background is golfing a little bit, and you know, I'm exposed that I'm not that good of a golfer. But you know, as you remember, what we did is we tried to associate in golf. You know, the goal is to put the ball in the hole, but we have the driver, the long iron, the mid iron, the short iron, and the putter. And, you know, as we've had friends that have talked about golf, and they say the way to learn to play golf is from the green to the tee, not the tee to, to the green. So back then what we did is we began to identify um, the um, uh, different vehicles. And so prime time was like a long iron. Mm-hmm. Then we built a deal called Forms of Four, and that was a mid-iron. And then we had a small discipleship group um, called Men Sharpening Men, and the putter was always the one-to-one. And so it was that combination of small group environments and one-to-one. And so we built that out over time. And uh, so today in Columbia, there's probably about 750 businessmen that meet on a, a weekly basis in a form of four. Uh, four men, we ask four questions. The questions are, because we care, what do we need to know? Because God's Word is relevant, what is He teaching you? Um, uh, and then, how can we help you apply that relevant Word to your life, and how can we help you in prayer? So those are the four questions. And somehow that attracted men, and we were able to relate below news, weather, and sports, we said that in these forms of four, men can be listened to, taken seriously, understood, respected, and keep it confidential. And it's changed over time, but it runs about 700. And then in addition to that, about 30 of the men that have gone through that whole process have started um, uh, initiatives on their own. So it's hard to put an exact mm-hmm. number on it, but as you and I look back, um, it's beyond whatever we could ask or think. And we have a yearly men's conference, and we do that in January. And and that usually attracts about, um, you know, 1,700 men. And then there's been some mission ventures that have gone out. But it's just all gone back to the idea. When you and I first started, and I was sitting in your office, and you asked me, okay, what is it that we're going to do? And and I just said, well, how about if we follow, fish, and reproduce? And you said, okay, that, that's it. That's what we want to do. We want to follow Jesus, fish for men, and reproduce. And so we've tried to stay on um, that bullseye, and, and that's what's happened. And so, you know, God has just allowed us to be, as we're trying to be faithful, he's allowed us to be fruitful. Mm. Larry, that is so awesome, all those men coming together on a weekly basis. And just think about how that's affected the families, too. You know, the yep. wives, the kids. I mean, that is that is just just so awesome. Again, we're what? talking with Larry Glabe, uh, Navigator, works uh, with the Navigators. And he's, done, uh, camp, he's been a campus director at uh, universities. He's a business and professional men's ministry director. And uh, he's also been, when, when I was uh, at 
the University of Missouri. He was the team chaplain. So that was a, another uh, awesome responsibility that Larry had. And Larry, what did you what did you take away from that chaplaincy? Well, that was pretty exciting, Coach. I never expected that, and uh, you explained to me, um, you know, the different the role that that has, and um, you know, uh, and you invited me to consider being uh, the, the chaplain or the spiritual coach, and um, uh, you know, I kind of went into it a little bit blindfolded, and. Uh, but I met with the head coach, and he explained what that would look like and everything else. And, you know, for many years, Coach, um, I had driven by the facility, and I'd even attended some games. But one of the things that you taught me and that I've experienced in uh, ministering to men is without having access, it's very difficult to influence men. Because otherwise we're just talking at him. So when you invited me to become a part and um, to just ease my way into it, I remember the very first time I was to meet the team, we were at um, Wentworth Academy in Lexington, Missouri. That's where we were doing our preseason training, and I was getting there a couple days after it started. It was a hot day. I drove up and saw everybody out there, and I thought, who am I? What am I going to do? But I just walked down to the sidelines and all the practice fields were going on. And I, I saw the, the, the trainers and, um, uh, you know, just the different student managers. And they were just running like chickens with their heads cut mm-hmm. off, trying to get enough water out to the field. And so I just grabbed a tray and got a towel <laughs> and went out there. And I just started, you know, serving can help us get in to environments. And, you know, uh, I'll just never forget, I was I just turned to the head coach and Coach Smith and handed him a cup of water. He looked at me and goes, Larry, what are you doing here? He <laughs> says, you don't need to be out here doing this. And I go, no, that's okay, coach. I'm just, I'm just trying to serve. Well, just that little act of serving really began to build these relational bridges. And so that was kind of the introduction. And then I got to you know, eat at the training table, come to the practices, go on some of the trips with the team. Mm-hmm. and uh, But then before every game, to have time to speak. Yes. And, um, you know, Coach Smith would always say, you've got four minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, and sometimes he'd have a stopwatch. And uh, it taught me how to be clear, how to be concise, and how to be compelling. And I remember that talking with the football players, we just kind of talked about the importance of making Jesus their model, making the Word of God their manual, and then the value of being able to have a spiritual mentor at the same time that they were trying to be students and outstanding football players. But I think that mindset and building relationships with not only the coaching staff, but then also the players, you know, was really a significant time, hopefully, hopefully for them, and uh, for me and you and I and uh, um, uh, Jeff Montgomery, who was the GA at that time, Mon, yep. we sat down and we talked about what could be the theme. And we talked about champions for life, not only on the football field, but for the rest of their life. So we used that theme and, uh, you know, just really followed through. And uh, as a result, um, I think we saw a number of players take some steps. And it got to the point that even though chapel was voluntary, we were probably running, um, you know, close to 100% of the players 
and the coaches uh, that were attending our chapel services. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, in a football program, of course, you got offensive coaches, defensive coaches, special teams coaches, and and I have felt and believed and always have that having a spiritual coach is also a very important part of the program. So yeah. you think about those players, and and if, say there's 11 games in a season, well, 11 chapel services, 11 messages they're going to hear. If they're there four years, that's 44. And if they're there five years, why, well, uh, 55. So those are tremendous opportunities for, for them to learn. You know, you mentioned champions for life, and that's, that's what it was all about, building men for life, not just yeah. building great football players, but building men for life. Well, your book illustrates it in the number of lives that you've touched just from the platform. And you and I have talked about Billy Graham's statement that a coach can have more impact on the life of a man in one year than some pastors in a lifetime. And what not everybody may realize is but the time in practice, and especially the time, the four hours or three hours or whatever it takes on the sidelines, I mean, you used to call it organized chaos. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. what it was. But what, what might surprise people is the time of conversation that I had with players during the game. Some of them weren't starters. Some right. of them were reserved, giving them perspective and encouragement, their families, their girlfriends, their studies, um, all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, at that time, there was not a designated coach for the special teams. And so because I had a coaching background, Coach Smith allowed me to kind of keep track of the punters and the place kickers, the special team guys. And not that I was coaching them or something, but just trying to coordinate, hey, are you ready on third down? Where do you have your helmet? You know, to be able to pay attention because – if you're not actively playing, it's easy to kind of daydream and lose track. And, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. That, you know, there were times when we had a punter ready to run out on the field, and if he didn't have his helmet, <laughs> then we'd have to pull him back and yeah. send somebody out with their helmets yeah. and just keeping track of all their stuff. Yeah, it that's, was, um, that's so good. You know, it was all compressed into those three or four hours, and it, right. was, it was wild and it was crazy and yeah. it was a lot of fun. And yeah. you, you just set the standard of you know, keeping your head when everybody else was losing theirs. Yep, yep, so important, so important. Well, Larry, believe it or not, we're almost out of time. And, uh, man, this has flown by. Uh, We're going to have to have you back another time down the road and and finish all of this. But we want to thank you so much for being a guest today on Game Plan for Life. Well, thank you, Skip, and thank you for all the impact you've had on so many people, especially mine. So it's an honor and a privilege, and thank you so much. Well, it works both ways, my friend. God bless. Okay. Thank you, buddy. You bet. Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall is brought to you by the following sponsors. Hollingshead Eye Center. See the difference experience makes. Christian Brothers Automotive. Security Gold and Silver. A reliable source for your bullion investment. Domino's. Oh, yes, we did. Rocket Express Car Wash. It's a blast. Diamond Heating and Cooling. Hoffman Auto Body. Someone you can trust. Canyon County Habitat for Humanity. Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. And Idaho Window Tinting. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the game plan for life. 
Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory.